with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That's the reading of God's holy word. Would you join with me in prayer as we then go to him and hear the proclamation of his word? Father in heaven, we now ask you to be a part of this most precious time. The, read, the, the preaching of your word is what increases faith in us. And we need to hear your word. We need to chew on it. We need to know what you require of us in our lives. And I pray that the beauty of the Christian faith and what membership would look like is, a, is the beauty of Christian growth and how we continue to lean upon your mercy, your grace, and your forgiveness in our lives, and then how we then exact that onto others. I pray, Lord, that we get into this word with open hearts and open minds, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, in the movie, uh, Cast Away with Tom Hanks, uh, you, you'll see this story of an employee of FedEx whose plane ran into trouble and crashed on an island. And survival was the game. He survived this whole ordeal of I don't know how many years because of three main reasons. First, he survived because he had a picture of his girlfriend. Secondly, he survived because he had a volleyball. And thirdly, he had a package. Now, you might be asking, if you didn't watch this movie, I'm sorry for ruining it for you, but this was like, what, 20 years ago? So I don't feel sorry. Um, but when he felt hopeless, right, he would look at the picture of his girlfriend because love gave him hope to continue on. So he would always have the picture of his girlfriend around when things were down, when the weather was terrible, when food was scarce. The volleyball, which he painted with eyes, ears, nose, and a mouth, represented a person to whom he could talk to daily. He called him, as you would know, Wilson. And this filled his need for companionship. And, and, and one of the, uh, you know, the, I'm still going to ruin this movie for you, but one of the, 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 the most heartfelt moments in that movie is when he does finally get off the island on this homemade boat that he had created, and Wilson gets washed off of the boat because of, you know, tumultuous weather. And he chases after him, but he can't get to it. It's either boat or Wilson. And he's in this tension. And he just cries out, Wilson! You know, you, you just see that. And it just, like, you know, gut wrenches you. And it's just like, man, what a beautiful 
depiction of companionship. And it is, you know, it is pitiful. It is a pitiful man who has no one to journey with him through life's difficulties, even if it was made up bald. And then thirdly, the reason why he survived was because of this unopened package that represented his duty. Now think about that. Being a FedEx employee, he had the responsibility of delivering the package. The vow that he made was this job that he had to do, even if he was stuck on an island, even though he thought there was no hope. No matter how many difficulties he faced, he would never open the package. For this package reminded him of what was unfinished, his duty. And that he mustn't give up while he was still uh, had this unfinished responsibility. Love, right? Companionship, commitment. These were his motivations for survival. Love, companionship, and commitment. And so many of us feel like we're on that island today, but rather than uh, community, love, companionship, or commitment, we're closer to squid game than we are to castaway. We can have friendships and we can have fellowships, and yeah, sure, but when it comes down to it, there's something on the line, and when there's something on the line, it comes down to me. That's how we think today. It's a dog-eat-dog world. It is all about sharks in the water. And this is why church membership matters to us. And it should matter to us. It is a testament of our faith in God. And a healthy church member is a growing church member. Faith requires church membership. It is impossible to separate the health of a local church from the health of of its members, and it is impossible to divide the well-being of a church member from his or her spiritual growth and discipleship. All of this intertwines, and so we're going to talk about what a healthy church member looks like, and a healthy church member is a growing church member. Now, look at these three problems. We're going to look at spiritual growth, and we're going to look at the three points, problems, proper growth, and participating in the local church. Now, let's look at that first point. The lack of consistent spiritual growth and progress and discipleship is a humongous problem for churches today. We all know Christians who've confessed faith. We all know Christians who have repented and yet who sadly admit that they have not grown in, in some time. I don't know, maybe you're that Christian that I just speak of. And this situation comes in Two varieties, really, right? There's the, the temporary plateau or spiritual rut that every Christian experiences and must overcome from time to time. And this is normal. Uh, it shouldn't cause too much alarm. Uh, perhaps routines need to be changed or, or focuses need to be renewed, but the problem isn't necessarily persistent. But then there's the chronic variety. Here, People may not be able to perceive much growth over a prolonged period of time. They've fallen into something deeper than a rut. They're not just stuck, struggling to get free. They've settled into a very dark and deep spiritual slumber. 
And if they've been asleep for some time, perhaps they believe that they've tricked themselves into thinking that there's no more growth to be had or even that following Christ is a shallow and hollow thing and the expectation of growth might be abandoned by such chronic, persistent slumber. Oh, in our largely individualistic and, un, and privatized spiritual worlds, such problems and troubles can go unnoticed, it can go unspoken, and it can go uncorrected for some time. And maybe that's you. Maybe that's something that you are currently struggling through. And growing knowledge and, and likeness of Christ, you know, spiritual maturity and progress towards it are supposed to be normal things for the Christian. We are to grow. Right? And that's why Hebrews chapter 6 verse says, 6 1 says, leave the elementary doctrines of Christ, uh, leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. You see, even the Hebrew writer understands that it is normal for Christians to grow. It is normal for Christians to work for growth and to expect increasing spiritual maturity, all without pride or boasting in themselves. This is a sign of healthy church membership. But this isn't the end of the issue. See, in order for growth to happen in a healthy way, we have to clarify what growth is and is not. Now, we live in a very superficial culture that emphasizes the outward and negates the inward reality. And this is why Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 18 helps us identify some attitudes of membership growth that are problematic. And three problems uh, are seen in this Pharisee's thinking, preventing him from growing in godliness. Look at the, the, the parable once again with me. First is this trap of performance. It's the trap of performance. Churches, sports, Workplaces have statistics that they re rely upon. Now, you might not think that churches have statistics, but they do. A lot of churches have statistics about what, what's going on and, and, and so on. And often, the worth of an athlete or a church member or an employee are summed up by these analyt analytics, right? The bigger the stats, typically the bigger the award. And so Christian growth can be also be influenced by this mindset. Now think about what the Pharisee did as he spoke with God about himself. He measured growth in observable goals and objectives. I fast twice a week. I give my tithes, right? We, you and I, we can do this too. We, we emphasize the number of times we might have done quiet times, right, this week, or passed on, you know, Christian books to uh, others as, as if we're, you know, wise and we've well, been well-read, or even how often we've shared the gospel. And we fall into the performance trap, whether we're good at it or bad at it. And oftentimes, most of us are bad at it, and so therefore we feel bad about our Christian faith, and we feel terrible about how we are not performing to the meaning, the mean, right? And when this happens, our sense of growth and worth becomes wrongly tied up with our stats. 
That's what this Pharisee is doing. And that's a problem. That is not true Christian growth. Okay? The second is judging by wrong standards. Now, how do we do this incorrectly? Normally, the way you uh, judge yourself is by judging yourself in relations to others. You compare yourselves to others. We're relativists, right, in this way. The Pharisee was proud before God that he was not like other men. He was not like the extortioners. He was not unjust. He was not like those adulterers, oh, terrible people, or even like this tax collector who's right next to me praying. Right? Amazing how he simultaneously is praying to God and judging and denouncing the man praying right next to him. If we are to focus on others in an attempt to justify ourselves before God, or to exalt ourselves as giants of faith, we will not only uh, we will not uh, we will not only grow, or we will not only not grow, but also we will delude ourselves into thinking we're better than we are. And be sure that God will humble us. You see, pride is the, the killer of our souls. Pride looks to others. Pride judges. Pride is always de dealing with looking at the, the, the sawdust in the eyes of others rather than the plank that is in ours. Pride puffs up. It truly is better to humble ourselves and to trust in the grace of God than to be opposed by God because of pride. You know, I, I'm a Korean uh, pastor. And I, I'm a pastor who's Korean. I, I don't know how you want to detail that. But I've been in Korean churches. And in the morning prayers, right, I, I, you may have experienced this yourself, there's this unwritten rule that pastors are not to leave the first uh, in after prayer meetings, right? They're not to be the first ones to leave. And unfortunately, I was the first one to leave in a lot of ways. And I got judged by that, right? Uh, in, in, in prayer meetings, there was like this, uh, this unwritten rule that like sometimes you had to be louder than the other person. Or you're, you're, you're constantly, like, it was like a timing game where it was like, okay, if I can make 10 minutes and this other person can make 9.59, I, I, I feel good about myself. Right? We do this in our Christian life. And it is not a sign of church growth or, or Christian growth. Thirdly, depending on personal strength or effort is not a marker of Christian growth. This is another of the Pharisees' mistakes. As far as he's concerned, all that should commend him before God is a result of his effort and his ability. But self-effort is not the source of true spiritual growth. Scripture tells us that our progress in discipleship and spiritual maturity depends not on our self-growth, but on the grace and the will of God, not on our own strength. You see, biblical growth should not be confused with outward performance alone, nor is it measured by using others as our standard. And it does not finally depend on our self-effort and attainments. Okay? So, I laid out before you what church or, or spiritual growth is not. Now, now, what does spiritual growth have to do with church membership? Well, let's take a look. A healthy church member has this pervasive concern for 
his or her own personal growth. You have to, I have to state that first, okay? A healthy church member has this concern for his or her spiritual growth. Whether it's up or down, you know, out or in, whatever it is, it needs to be the forefront of our minds. But it also is concerned with the growth of other members of the body. Since a concern for God's glory should be uppermost in our lives as believers, our concern for spiritual growth should be then uh, coveted. It should be what we pursue. Several passages of Scripture outline for us the kind of growth healthy church members should hope to see in themselves and others. Now, for example, you turn to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 25. It lists for us the, the fruit of the Spirit. Evidences of spirit-wrought virtue and character that typify those who live not according to their own power and, civil, uh, and sinful nature, but by the Spirit. Now, let me just read the fruit of the Spirit to you, okay? And just listen to those virtues and apply themselves to you. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Now, think about the evidences of a healthy church Remember here, meditate on this passage. It's so important that we do self-reflection here. The reason why we have problems in our lives is because these things are really not evident in our lives. We will always say, yes, I know I have problems, Pastor David, but these people have more problems. No, 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 that's not how we ought to think. We ought to look at this and say, how can I reflect the Spirit here? And how is my heart being tuned into the Spirit by demonstrating love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. It reminds us that the Lord gives gifted men to the church for the purpose of our growth. It says, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, true growth has to be growth in godliness and holiness. It has to be. And a growing church member is someone who looks more and more like Jesus in attitude of heart, thought, speech, and action. This is where Lone Ranger Christianity is very dangerously pharisaical. And let me tell you, pharisaism, right, is pervasive in the church. The ease of leaving a church because it doesn't satisfy my comforts. The, the ease of neglecting members because of my social awkwardness. The ease of puffing up myself in my own eyes rather than pursuing the health of others. 
These are pharisaical fruits, whether you want to believe them or not. This is why Jesus constantly rebukes the Pharisees. It's because the Pharisee does not see church membership as important, but rather sees his or her own accolades and then judges the person who is a tax collector, a scum of society, beating his breast, saying, Lord, I am not worthy of you, right? This is why church membership isn't Lone Ranger Christianity. Church membership, rather, is a grind. It's dirty at times, it's perseverant, it's loving, it's the willingness to be disciplined and to be under governance to the word and God-appointed leaders. Church membership is is giving of ourselves to others, not just receiving. See, how we treat others is a sign of how we treat God. If we're not willing to commit to the church in its everyday dealings, how can we say we're willing to deal with God? Sometimes dealing with people in church is very, very difficult. It can be very draining. We have in here, and I'm not calling anyone out, okay? Kind of am, right? We have very difficult people in the church. Now, you might say, oh, I'm not difficult. Yes, you are. (laughs) I'm difficult, okay? We're all difficult people. But that is never a reason to leave the church nor neglect the church. We need the body. We need to commit ourselves to the body. It is our duty to do so. Church is not meant to be a place of ease. Church is meant to be a place of, uh, uh, be hard at times. Loving people means loving the unlovable. And you might be saying, oh, only Christ can love the unlovable. He's God. But me, I can't do that. No, that's not our attitude. It cannot be our attitude. The only way to love is to be immersed in the very people of the church. Your God does not ask you to do more than Jesus did. And trust me, Jesus wanted to smack people upside the head, uh, specifically his disciples, for getting it wrong, sure. But he still immersed himself, himself into the body of Christ. And this always starts with humble yearning to grow and humble seeking of the growth of others. Okay? Thirdly, well, how do we cultivate this? Um, the answer is easy, kind of. It's just to abide in Christ. It's to abide in Christ. John chapter 15, verses 5 through 8, says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. And if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. And such branches are picked up, they're thrown in the fire, and they're burned. And if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You see, these words have to be lodged into our minds and hearts. But the question is, how do we cultivate those words? How do we remain on the vine, right? How do we produce fruit in our lives? How do we cultivate good growth in the church? Well, 
the answer is the name of our church. Some of you might be asking, why do we call ourselves Means of Grace Denver? It is because we are aiming to live our ministerial goals through the lens of the ordinary means of grace. Many Christians seem to believe advancement in you know, spiritual maturity must come through some extraordinary or breakthrough experience. For them, it's the fantastic that produces growth in the Christian. In fact, the sensational and extraordinary can and often lead people astray. But the word of God that is properly taught and understood never will. So what is the means of grace? There are three of them. The studying and the hearing of God's word. The, the participation in, in baptism and communion with the gathered church. And thirdly is prayer. Now these don't sound all that fancy and elaborate, right? But this is the way the grace of God is proclaimed. It is the way that the grace of God is displayed and appropriated in the Christian life. By the word of God, we hear Christ revealed, Christ glorified, and there we learn Christ most clearly. You need to come to church for this. It is the most important part of your week. We need to hear the word of God to increase our faith, to grow. It is not just one sermon. It is uh, the, 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 the progress of sermons in our lives that constantly make us remolded in Christ. And then you have the sacraments. We see Christ in the gospel as we, we, we then picture his death. We, we, we picture his burial and resurrection for us and our, for our salvation. And in the sacraments, we find the joy of, le uh, leaning, uh, f uh, of, of others leaning on Christ, right? In the sacraments, uh, they do some, we can do some real diagnostic tests on us, on ourselves, and how we've related to others. You see, this meal is not just a, an individual thing between you and God. Right? Christ tells us that we ought to look at the issues that we have with others in the church. And if you continue to have issues with others in the church, refrain from the table. It is a diagnostic test as to how we approach members in the body. And this is why the sacraments are never and can never be done alone. This is why we don't baptize you in your bathtub, okay? It's a, a church body-wide thing. It's about the body that we ought to do this. And then thirdly, of course, is prayer. And you know what Christ says in Matthew 18. He says, when two or more are gathered in my name, there I will be. A healthy church member does not neglect these ordinances and these means of grace, but rejoices in them. He, he or she prepares for them. And it is reminded through the senses of the glories of Christ our Savior. Now, how can we do this, right? Well, we think it's fine sometimes to miss out on worship. Hebrews 10, chapter 25, instructs us not to neglect the assembly of saints. Instead, we're to gather, we're to encourage one another, and more and more as we await Jesus' return. So to neglect 
or uh, to neglecting to participate in the corporate life of the church or failing to actively serve and be served is a surefire way to limit your growth as a Christian. This is why I have had so much trouble with online church. How can we say we're growing if we're not acting on the words given to us? Right? I, I understand. Some of us have present circumstances that prevent us from attending physically, and I respect that. I'm not trying to di- diss that at all. I get it. But also understand that without the practice of loving in the church, with the people of God, you will never grow the way you think you should. And it is what has made me hate COVID the most. I'm not belittling the strength of COVID at all. I know it is a legitimate disease. I'm not one of those pastors that says, you know, um, shame on you for wearing a mask or blah, 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 blah. Like, no, I'm not that. But sometimes, even I have used COVID to not have to love others. We do this with our work. We do this in our comfort. We do this even as our mental health prevents us from doing so. The devil has always tried to prevent us from assembling with the people of God. Know that. Now let me end with Christ. The church is not a place for healthy people. It's actually a hospital, but the cure is here. And that's why when Christ was rebuking these Pharisees, he was also serving prostitutes. He was serving the shameful. He was serving the tax collector and the reject. He saw the tax collector beating his chest, asking uh, for forgiveness and being merciful as a sinner. And he dined with them. He was the doctor who dined with the undinable. He fellowshiped with very hard people. Even think about this. He even broke bread with Judas, whom he knew was going to send him to the cross. So did Peter, did he not? You see, the difference between the two is humility. Peter and Judas, even if it took some time, Here's what I mean. Peter rejected Christ three times. Peter tried to prevent Christ from going to the cross. Peter would not allow Christ from serving him when he was to wash his feet. He too, Peter, was just as prideful as Judas and these Pharisees were. But he also took a very long look at himself. And even in his hard-headedness, he saw Christ still died for him. And he was the one pounding his chest in a way, saying, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And he stopped looking at others. He stopped being pharisaical. He stopped puffing up his accolades. And he looked to Christ for help. And Christ came in his life, death, and resurrection. And a member of the church pursues Christ in the church, within the body, for the sake of others. And a member of the church is not cynical of the church and their long history of abuse. We have that. But rather does its duty to be part of the purity of the church. 
And a member of the church sees that Christ is the doctor and the church is the hospital. We need to be members of the church. And this is why church membership matters. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful reminder of what the church needs to continue to pursue, proper growth, and how we can properly grow, grow is how we relate to others in this body, whether it's the men whom you've uh, called to lead us, or it's the, the people within the body whom you've called us to love. Whatever it is, it's not individual growth, it is communal growth. And we need to constantly not run away from the problems of our church. But we need to address them. We need to get our hands dirty. We need to persevere. And I, I pray, Lord, that as we continue to learn about what membership is and why it matters, may we look at Christ and how he persevered for the unlovable, how he persevered for those who rejected him, how he continued to persevere even up to dying on the cross so that he would bring victory, love, mercy upon sinners like us. We thank you, Lord, that we have that message of hope and we remain in our duty as members of the body. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.